This is Nuri Shahin, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. of the Yellow Wallpot. I'm your host Stefan Butzko as always and I'm here to talk about Borussia Dortmund with two guys I invited on the panel for this episode once again here on the show Lars Polman. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hi Stefan, pretty good as always but I'm wondering why I'm always introduced first when I'm on with uh, the second guy. I don't know, I don't know, I can't, I can't tell you that. Because I'm your number one priority obviously. Pro probably, yeah. And uh, with that, <laughs> my number two priority, <laughs> Luca Gier from Berlin. Hello, Luca. Uh, hello, Stefan. <laughs> Reluctantly, I greet you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Lars just uh, needed a feel-good moment, I presume. So, uh, let, and then, let him and have then you that. went and, and called uh, Luca number two. So, Yeah, otherwise Not this good. whole thing wouldn't work. Anyway, uh, you know, in all seriousness, I'm glad you two are here and you are all the number one priority, of course. So, uh, without any further ado, um, I will tell our listeners now that we will talk about the games against Leipzig, Hertha Berlin, and we will preview the matches against Darmstadt and Benfica. So, a lot of things to get to, but Luca, um, before we dive into the talk about the Leipzig game, uh, we have to talk about the ugly scenes that happened in and around the match, meaning uh, some Borussia Dortmund ultras or fans or whatever you want to call them uh, threw stones, bottles, even eggs at Leipzig fans that uh, you know were on their way to the stadium. Obviously, on the yellow wall pod, we can damn any form of violence. Uh, Luca, did you want to talk about this in any sort of way? And if so, how? Well, I'm not sure how much uh, international fans really heard about it uh, or how much it was covered in, uh, I don't know, England or America. Or I, I wrote about it for ESPN in the preview. <laughs> so, yeah. Hertha Cup. So, yeah. if if you have uh, read what Stefan wrote about it, you know about it. But, yeah, basically, yeah, what you said is, is right. Um fans on their way to the stadium Leipzig fans just regular fans not ultras or anything um were attacked by were attacked by Dortmund fans um who apparently weren't ultras themselves just some random fans as well um as far as i've heard and yeah the police and law are looking into it and uh, i hope they find everyone who did it and they get their sentence Yeah, we hope they will all pr be uh, prosecuted. I think we can maybe mention that this was really, this, this created more or less a huge shitstorm countrywide. I mean, the uh, Secretary of State talked about it, uh, Thomas de Maizière. Then there was uh, the, the head of the German FA. Uh, what's his name? Grindel. I can't think of his first Reinhard. name. Reinhardt. Reinhardt, yeah. I had Reinhardt. Grindel in my mind, but I, I knew that was wrong. Yeah, he also said something, uh, 
along the lines, uh, meaning that Borussia Dortmund fans should protest against themselves and and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, set a sign. I don't I don't know how you view that, Luca. Whether whether uh, you expect a huge counter movement from Dortmund fans to counter that. I don't I don't really know what he what he wants the people to do. I mean, if if people knew who did that. Um, maybe they could do something about it, but the only thing they can really do is speak out against violence. That's what they did again in at the Hertha match. Um, Schwarzgelb.de um, had a had a protest going on uh, where they printed uh, sort of anti-violence uh, papers or banners and brought them to the stadium. That's what they can do. And if they actually think, I mean, a lot of people, and I thought Grindel as well, uh, thought the violence was going or uh, generated by the ultras or hooligans even. And I don't think normal fans, quote in quotes, uh, could do anything about that because, yeah, you, you will just get hurt eventually if you, um, yeah, speak out against them or confront them. And that's the job of the police and the law. That's not the job of the fans. Yeah, in general, there were many knee-jerk reactions, and I think out of the Leipzig camp, I don't know from official side, but at least from some fan sides, and uh, people actually blamed Hans-Joachim Watzke for for his statements uh, because he said multiple times that Leipzig are more or less a club founded to sell soda cans, and uh, yeah, he voiced his opinion, and people think that uh, might have prepared the setting for violence and i don't i don't think that did at all i think people who act like that don't really need any statements whether they are populism or not by mr watzke i think they will act that way either way and uh yeah i don't i don't i'm not a big fan of knee-jerk reactions i think the problem in general is this much bigger than just fans hating other fans. I, I think there are a lot of uh, right-wing groups in Dortmund, not only, you know, concerning Borussia Dortmund, but the whole region in, in general. And I, I think that, uh, you know, the issue has to be addressed on, on a wider scale and, and just not for one football match because there are just too many people who just seek for an excuse to be violent. Uh, and, you know, apparently the game against Leipzig was... A well welcomed excuse to uh, do just that and to uh, have an outlet, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that uh, yeah we can blame Watzke or anyone for voicing their uh, their statements toward Leipzig and, and their construct. So um, yeah, those are just my two cents. I don't, I don't know if you Luca want to talk more about it, but uh, you know we might as well yeah. just move on to the game. Just just one quick uh, thought. I agree that uh, Watzke isn't to blame here. Uh, when whenever people blame Watzke, and then you ask them, "Oh well, well what did Watzke actually say?" They're like, well, "They don't come up with anything." So yeah, but I would say that the general hatred towards Leipzig may have contributed to the violence. Obviously, we don't know, but why did it happen against Leipzig? It's likely to be because what they represent to many people as a football club or <laughs> especially not really as a football club, but as a marketing construct. And um, I don't blame Watzke because his critique was rational and factual, but some other people and their rhetoric uh, yeah, reminded me of right-wing groups like saying, you are not welcome here. You Leipzig fans are not welcome here. The football belongs to us and all that. Uh, I could see that 
influence at least or create uh i don't know a mood towards the other fans and the other club that isn't beneficial to anyone and which the part that i don't understand is i agree with the all the criticism towards or not all the criticism but i agree with a lot of criticism towards rb leipzig and what they represent and what they do but their fans don't really have anything to do with it especially those fans who were attacked a lot of children among them they just want to see good football i doubt they care who runs their club they just they want to, they are there for the sport and uh, it's never okay to attack another group of people just because they're wearing a different shirt than you are wearing or supporting a different club so exactly those people are yeah. just downright idiotic and they need to be removed and uh Yes, you can criticize maybe the police for not anticipating the attacks and uh, you might as well criticize the club for not being, for anticipating it and not being better prepared. I don't know. Those are arguments I don't feel like I should make. So, um, yeah, I think we, we, we talked enough about that, you know, with the general message, just don't be an Id violent idiot and uh, we shall move on to the game. Which was, I thought, very interesting, Lars. Um, is there is there anything for you that that stuck out in in, in Tuchel's approach to the game? I think Lewis uh, pretty much nailed the lineup prediction, or at least the formation prediction in the last episode you guys had. He talked about the back three, back five, whatever. Probably came out to be a back four and a half or something like that. And uh, the the most interesting part to me was that Lukas Spiszczek played center half again over uh, Matthias Ginter. I don't remember Matthias Ginter ever starting a game where they played with uh, three center backs or at least no important games. I, I I I do know he came on for Mats Hummels in the cup final against Bayern at center half in a back five, but you know that was forced by injury, and uh, that. Obviously made the, made, made Eric Dorm as the right wing back possible, which to be fair, before the game, most people probably didn't feel too crazy about, but to, uh, Dorm's credit, he did really well. He had obviously a fairly easy role or a fairly easy task to, uh, to fulfill on, on the right wing. He, he was basically just an athlete uh, trying to stretch Leipzig's left side of defense. He often committed uh, Marcel Halstenberg, former Dortmund uh, uh, under-23 team player, uh, to come forward a bit in that open spaces for Usman Dembele, who once again ran riot for large stretches of the game until he got cramping, I think, uh, right about the hour mark. I think Dembele was once again one of the, the most important players and Dom's uh, selection really paved the way for that. So for as often as Tuchel gets criticized for making changes or making uh, decisions that don't seem logical uh, right away. This one was one that he got absolutely right and it probably won Dortmund the game even though Leipzig were without many of their best players uh, either through suspension in case of Emil Forsberg or the flu with uh, Werner Marcel Sabitzer and uh, Diego Demme. So with that personal situation for Leipzig I expected Dortmund to win But I didn't expect them to play this well, and uh, I think Thomas Tuchel called it a 4-0 dressed up as a 1-0 after the game, and that was pretty much nailed on. 
if you look at the expected goals ch uh, charts, it, it was something like 3.72.1. Uh, so it was really a dominant performance. And even against a Leipzig side that uh, was without so many in important players, that was still really an impressive performance. And I would, I would put it, you know, in the Bundesliga, certainly this season, right up there with the best they, they have played this season. Yeah, Luca, if uh, you look at the past success of Borussia Dortmund, you're around 63, 68% going by various stats portals. Um, this is astoundingly low compared to Dortmund's usual average, which is around 83%. Um, why was that? They played Leipzig. <laughs> yeah, that that's not I mean, a sufficient answer for me here. Come on. I mean, uh, when you look at Leipzig stats, they had like around 60 as well. Um, started even worse. Think that it improved a bit. Um, both teams press really well. Uh, I think Dortmund's pressing improved a lot after the winter break, and uh, yeah, that's what Leipzig always can do. Like they had lots of injuries, like last said, and their individual quality wasn't as good up front. Um, couldn't combine as well as they as they used to, but they still press well. And it's also that Dortmund seemed yeah they were good, but they seemed a bit, uh, how would you say, insecure in build-up at times. Sometimes there was a flat, flat pass available to the half space. Sometimes there was an easy ball available, but they just looked stressed because they knew they were playing Leipzig. They knew Leipzig are pressing. They had the experience from the Hinrunde, where Leipzig just ran at them full speed uh, um, at, you know, uh, from midfield forward. And they always had that, have that in mind and they have this stress on the field. And I think that's sort of the result of that stress Leipzig put on you and they kind of also put on themselves. And that would explain the, the low pass completion. Yeah. But it was At also, it, it was also game plan related. I would say, um, they often shifted play toward the, the wings uh, most of the time to the right wing with, uh, long balls. And, and that was obviously by design because they had a lot of, dynamic athletic players on the field that could win, you know, second, third, fourth balls. Uh, and they tried to avoid the uh, running into Leipzig's pressing in the middle. And they didn't, for that reason, I think they didn't try to play out of the back as much, given, didn't give the ball to Weigel every other time and then uh, waited for him to do something. Rafael Guerrero didn't drop deep to uh, receive those balls. I think... Obviously, Leipzig played a part in that, and but I think Tuchel really anticipated uh, what Leipzig would do to them if they tried to combine through the center, and that's why they played so many uh, shifts toward, especially Dorm and Dembele, that the the pass completion rate would have gone down uh, even without some inaccuracies from you know Pischek, Zokatis in the build-up plays. Yeah, Eric Dorm had a pass completion rate of thirty. 35% or something, and uh, Usman Dembele also somewhere around that. I, I, I'm not 20, 23 or something. Yeah, Dembele. yeah, they, they, they weren't stellar, and it, it exactly says or tells us what, what last just said that it was more or less designed by Dortmund. They didn't really want to play around the back too long, and uh, once they got the ball up front, they played passes with way more risk than they usually do just to get it to hopefully get a break. And you know, they, they did get a couple of breaks, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely also part of the story. But uh, Tuchel said after the game that they missed some opportunities where they could play their usual football. Basically, um, I agree that it's it looked like it was planned, but I don't think it was planned to that degree. Um, 
I don't think Tuchel ever wants the pass wants the pass completion to be below seventy percent. So, and he said they missed some chances where they could find players in the half space just with the with the usual flat pass. And yeah, but it's partly Leipzig, partly game plan, and just partly not being super confident in possession. Fair enough. Um, Lars Mark Bartra with his first start in two thousand seventeen. Uh, he didn't look really confident in the pre-season friendlies or rather pre-half-season uh, friendlies uh, how, how did you see him in this game? Yeah, mostly good I think he was much better against Hertha which we'll talk about later um, obviously with Leipzig's personnel situation especially up front I mean you they, you changed out the, the ultra quick uh, Timo Werner with uh, Davy Selke who's basically just tall and you know strong <laughs> He can't really play football. He's a, a flipper, as we say in Germany, which means he, his first touch is usually so bad that most of the time he loses the ball right away, which didn't happen this time, by the way. He was okay in that regard. So Bartra wasn't really challenged much defensively. I mean, I talked about the expected goals charts. They, Leipzig mustered about uh, a maximum of 0.3 goals in the game, or expected goals, I should say. So there wasn't much defending to do for him. Uh, especially, you know, last line defending or in the final third. So he he didn't have too much stress on him, but he still had some of those, what I like to call inner Bartra moments, where he kind of just <laughs> make, makes uh, the situation more dangerous than it should be. And I think he had a, a couple of back passes that could have been intercepted, were a bit short and all that. But, you know, con compared to both his performances during those friendlies you mentioned, and especially before the winter break when he was downright terrible uh, i think this was a good start and as i said against hertha now on uh, wednesday he was even better so he's he's getting back to the kind of player we know he can be that's the the most important part yeah fair enough uh, luca would you agree with me that socrates was the man of the match in this game yes yes why is there anyone who would disagree or well, some people said dembele but yeah uh, yeah socrates was um, just stella at the back Uh, showed Paulsen, who's boss, <laughs> just <laughs> just running him outside, um, or just run him over, run him over, basically, and uh, had some wasn't bad in possession, uh, one of the best. I think he had the best pass completion, if I'm not mistaken. So just great performance overall. And uh, like last said, there wasn't that much last line defending to do, but that was also due to Socrates being really good defensively before that and. Or not allowing them to get a shot off. Um, I mean, there was the last minute shocker, <laughs> but at, yeah, that was offside. But other than that, they did fine defensively. Yeah, we we will talk about that last minute shocker later. But uh, obviously, we have to talk about that goal. This cannot go unmentioned because it was just world class by Mr. Dembele. And last, I think he tweeted out earlier today that or or yesterday. Um, that that uh, his development happening before our own eyes is just incredible or something along those lines. So uh, since this will give you the fanboy award of the day, you uh, may describe the goal and what you like best about it. The fanboy award, and it's not even about Don Miguel Merino. That's that's an honor, really. I, I was going to say Miguel Merino is jealous now. Yeah, he should be jealous because he doesn't get to play, but he should be. Um, <laughs> Any anyhow, um, yeah, I don't. I mean, everybody's seen it by now, so uh, I won't talk to you about talk to you about the 
ins and outs of it. Everybody saw the amazing first touch, how he uh, blazed past uh, Marvin Comper, then shimmied. I think it was Willy Orban. So both center halves were out of the, the picture in the middle and then a, a great cross to Oum Young, who like a minute before had a similar uh, headed chance from about the same distance to the goal and he put it over the bar in that sequence. So for for Aubameyang to score one minute later uh, was important for him personally and, and obviously for Dortmund that that goal coming from the you know the the second or third real goal scoring opportunity in the game uh, and it was after what 31 minutes or was it 37 something along those lines so was I mean Dortmund had played well to that point but didn't really find breakthroughs so Dembele blazing past those defenders and and committing center halves to the uh, defensive uh, wing uh, was huge in that sequence so great goal all around yeah thank god you didn't talk about the ins and outs of that goal <laughs> that's called irony stefan <laughs> but yeah uh <laughs> luca stefan we have to talk about pierre emerick Aubameyang. i don't know if we will do this in a harris segment or now but uh you know we cannot have this game unmentioned without the uh, millions of counterattacks and very promising counterattacks Dortmund had in the form of Marco Reus and Aubameyang, who often combined, if you want to call it that, and it didn't really work out exactly now. So, Luca, you are now here to tell me why the hell they lack so much composure right now. I'm not even sure if they lack composure. Uh, well, I'm sure. That- <laughs> Otherwise, they would have scored a couple more goals in the last two games. I mean, it's just that football and especially finishing or creating chances and like the last pass before the goal, yeah, there's, there's so much you can do wrong, basically. You have to make decisions in really rapid succession. And if you have one bad touch, one bad decision, then there's no shot for you. And sometimes it's just unlucky like the the shot the the chance Royce got where he dribbled past the defender and then suddenly the goalkeeper did really well um there was no way for Royce to score anymore but he also couldn't have taken the f- shot uh, on first touch because there was a defender directly in front of him i mean they had some some of the counter attacks weren't done really well or the the finish wasn't there but that that just happens sometimes and sometimes you have games like uh, let's say Wolfsburg, where every counter attack is a goal. Uh, it's just varies in football. That's how it always was and always will be, probably. So I'm just too harsh on them. And you have games like that, and then they'll bounce back. I'm sure. I, I, the more general problem with Aubameyang is that his overall play, overall play wasn't amazing lately, and his first touch is letting letting him down a lot. So that's more worrying to me than the lack of finishing lately. Fair enough. Last, do you have anything to add? I think people moaning about finishing uh, are dumb, most of the time anyway, because Dortmund's finishing isn't terrible by any means. They they are right uh, right uh, at the at where you want them to be, or not where you want them to be, but where you expect a, a solid side to be at. And we can't uh, compare it to last season because they had much more creative quality on the field, you know, when... Ilkay Gundogan and Henrik Mkhitaryan are setting balls up. It's much easier to score than when it's uh, Gonzalo Castro and I don't know uh, even Dembele at times, even though he's uh, improved uh, dramatically in in terms of his distribution or not distribution, but his uh, assist giving, if you like. But 
generally finishers have off days and Dortmund have had a few of those in a row. So law of averages means they, they are go probably going to blow a team out of the, the, the parts, the park uh, in the next few games at some point. That's just how, how football works. There are ups and downs in finishing and moaning about it too much is just, uh, yeah, I don't know, insignificant, irrelevant, dumb. Okay. <laughs> you could, you could see it, you could spin it in a positive way. They are creating chances and that's the most important thing. And that's such what a young, young game as well. such a young club thing to say as well. <laughs> yeah. Tuchel, yeah. Just good coaches say that usually. Yeah. Because it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I said this, the same thing uh, on, on Twitter during the Hertha match. Are you saying you're a good coach? Yeah. Totally. That's what okay. I'm saying. Um, you know. No, I'm probably not since I've never coached anything football related. So I, I won't. Whatever. Let's just uh, move on and talk about the uh, scenes right at the death of the game, which uh, we can only talk about because the referee made a horrible decision and allowed uh, a goal kick for Leipzig, even though Christian Pulisic and Felix Paslak applied superb and highly intelligent and pretty mature time-wasting skills um, throughout wasn't the match. That, wasn't that Royce? Wasn't that Royce and Pulisic? I don't even know. Yeah, might 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 be them. But but either way, I th I think it's it's just fair to talk about uh, Mr. Pulisic in, in this instance before we actually talk about the offside goal because I thought that was really great. So Luca, if you if you agree with me, <laughs> you can now tell our tell our American listeners how great Mr. Pulisic was in this game. And if if do I ever disagree on when someone says Christian Pulisic is good? Now you get the, the the lifetime achievement award in fanboying, by the way. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. Um, yeah, he did well. Uh, not only with time racing, but also had some nice runs. Uh, I remember one where he got past three Leipzig defenders in one move. That was great. And his first touch is really good uh, when he re re receives the ball and then turns defenders easily. Really close control of the ball. And yeah, smart. The smart choices and yeah he wasted a lot of time at the end of that game was reminiscent of um the one and only Jonas Hofmann at Arsenal uh, <laughs> yeah that was back. legendary yeah but that fan award already belongs to Lars so we can't go there now um so yeah <laughs> Lars what 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 do you say about Tuchel's antics about the game because I thought it was hilarious but uh, a lot of people didn't think it was when he did the talking hands after uh, the linesman ruled the game, the goal out. Yeah, I don't really have a strong opinion on 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 that because I think people didn't know wh why uh, he he made those signals and and thought it was just generally towards Leipzig, which would have been a bit bit of a dick move. But he obviously had had uh, a personal reason with one of the Leipzig. I don't even know. Was it a coach? Was it? Like uh, the, the, the the kid man, someone from the staff. Yeah, I don't know. Someone didn't celebrate with his uh, mates on the bench, but uh, seemingly, I mean, I don't think anyone has seen pictures of it. Seemingly celebrated uh, toward or in front of Tuchel, so he shut him down uh, with his hands once the flag was raised. So I, I mean, I, I for one, it was hilarious, as you said, Stefan, but without knowing uh, really what happened uh, 
people making sweet, uh, sweeping judgments. That's always dumb. Much like mourning about finishing. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but uh, kudos to the linesman for uh, raising his flag and, and uh, yeah, not deciding to, uh, you know, the, the, what is it, Indubio Pro Reo. <laughs> Reo. Indubio Pro Reo. But I know I know the phrase, but I just wanted to say it's, it's you know adopt you decide for the striker. That's usually we, we the could, we could use indubio pro Royce. Wow. Okay. But may, can can we, can we all agree that that uh, uh, Leipzig goal uh, would have been the the most smash and grabbiest uh, one one in Bundesliga history? I mean, they didn't produce anything going forward, and then to win. With a player, I think he made his debut because they don't use uh, young players who didn't cost any money. I mean, <laughs> him scoring in the 94th minute with the first real shot on goal, that would have been... I mean, I, I, Ralf Hasenhüttl, who I am, uh, very much uh, like and rate as a coach, uh, even admitted that they didn't deserve to, to win that point. So I think we can agree that uh, even uh, if the goal had stood, nobody would have uh, really... Uh, congratulated Leipzig for their performance or anything, so good thing it did. Dortmund needed that luck. Wasn't the guy who scored for Leipzig the dude who scored like 60 goals in the in the youth league? Yeah, for Wolfsburg a few yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah. He's the the tall guy Ali Aslan of VfL Wolfsburg. Now there's <laughs> now there's an insider for you. I will have to look that up later. Uh, in the meantime, Dortmund can be really happy with uh, yeah, just uh, winning winning all three points, and uh, I think. Taking seven points out of the first three games since the restart doesn't look too grim. So, um, yeah, with Darmstadt next, I'm pretty sure they will make it 10 out of the first, uh, four. So, yeah. Jinxed it. Eh, don't think. But, uh, yeah, let's move on to the cup game because that was, uh, I, I actually found the game more interesting, even though I missed a couple of minutes every now and then because the dog thought it was his time to go out. So, uh, <laughs> Luca, while I missed the match, you can uh, talk me through it now. Well, Dortmund started really good. Uh, had some huge chances in the form of Aubameyang. Uh, the first after a really nice pass from Weigel and a nice flick on from Dembele. Completely open in front of goal, but the first touch wasn't there. Uh yeah, guided him a bit too closely to Royce, who ran next to him, so he couldn't pa really pass it to Royce. And also, the angle towards the goal uh, with the goalkeeper coming out wasn't ideal. So he kind of was—I don't know what he what he was trying to do there. I thought he tried to pass it to Royce at first, and then somehow saw that that wasn't a good idea, and then tried to kick it in with his other. Ah, foot. I, th I think he just tried to run the keeper with a trick. Yeah, maybe maybe that. And then the second uh, really nice uh, chance was, uh, I think that was a direct Weigel pass this time uh, into the feet of Aubameyang, who did well, had a good shot, and uh, Jarstein parried it around the post. Then Hertha got a bit better into the game. Basically, Socrates let him into the game because he lost the ball as the last man on the and to Ibizovic was it. Then even pulled his jersey. If I think if Ibizovic goes down there, maybe Socrates is off even earlier than he was. Uh, but Ibizovic continues running, and uh, Socrates gets gets a tackle in. Um, yeah, but from then on, Hertha 
I wouldn't say they were the better side, but they had more shots, had a huge chance from Ivizovic um, after a corner. I don't know how he missed it. That was a bit like Mickey Tyron against Frankfurt. The header, I don't know if you remember. Yeah. And yeah, who <laughs> wouldn't remember that? And uh, then, yeah, they got their lead somehow, somewhat deservingly. Uh, a good cross from Niklas Stark and uh, Kalu with a nice finish. Then, yeah, it kind of, the game was kind of dull the last few minutes in the first half, and then Dortmund came out firing in the second half. Uh, yeah, great ball from Bartra to Dembele. Really great, really great. Um, Dembele hit the post. Then both Dembele and Pulisic with some nice passing to Royce, and he made the 1 1, and then they had chance after chance, basically. Didn't score any of them. And then, yeah, Dembele had another chance at the end of almost, I would say, 80, 80th minute or so. Could have killed the game numerous times. Didn't happen. And then the overtime or the extra time was like any extra time in football nowadays. Everyone was dead. Nothing happened, even though there was a fast fast sub. Uh, Schuller didn't do anything. <laughs> and then they were in the pens. And now I talked as much as Konstantin usually does. Boy, Stefan, when, when you say talk us through the game, he really talks us through the game, huh? <laughs> Did you forget it was 120 minutes? I mean, the podcast is about to take 120 minutes just talking about Hertha. Yeah, my, my American girlfriend sometimes uh, finds it very annoying that German guys are very literal. And uh, I can see her point right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just did what you told me to. Yeah, I know. But I, so, but I thought you would just start maybe with one thing. For example, yeah. naming that Tuchel for the very first time in competitive, uh, in competitive games used the same starting lineup. Woo! Worked no, amazingly. No we more rotation. Guys out at halftime. Yay. Yeah. But Lars, didn't you see the automatism in the first half? The glorious automatism? Yeah, I mean, Hertha looked really automatic, right? Yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the second half was better from Dortmund, so... Yeah, once they made changes, so there's that. And and reverted system too, so... Automatism took a big hit on Wednesday evening in Dortmund. Yeah. I'm sorry. God damn it. We, we, still, we still have to sell those... Max. ...hoodies <laughs> who are coming out at some point. Yeah. Stay tuned. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but yeah, let's let's uh, try to be a little bit more serious here and actually talk about um, the goal Dortmund conceded because uh, there were just so many screw ups in one scene that uh, I will pick one and then Lars will pick the next and then Luca will pick the next, I guess. And I will start first with Patra playing a very I don't know unmotivated whatever you call it ball into the middle and uh, yeah. That left Dortmund completely caught out, and now it's Lars' turn. Yeah, then they had uh, zero pressure on Niklas Stark, who played a 1-2 with, I don't know who it was, Luca. Didn't he just run towards the goal and then... No, he he, he he got the ball from Barca, had a 1-2, and then he had the open run because there was zero pressure on him. Uh, probably Darida then. Yeah, might have been him. All right, Luca. Uh, yeah. Then, <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Uh, Socrates really didn't really pick up, uh, I'm not sure who it was, maybe Ibizovic. So Schmelzer had to guard, had to defend two guys basically and couldn't, uh, pressure the Niklas Stark and Guerrero also just stood there. Didn't pressure Man, that was my turn, Guerrero. Come on, just be Sorry. fair. Okay, Stefan, Stefan. <laughs> and then Guerrero didn't track back and Marcel Schmelzer was all by himself. 
And then there's Lukas Piszczek for you, I guess, Lars. Are we now going to talk through one situation like it's a 120-minute match? Or? Yeah, I, I, we, we have did we didn't uh, cover the run of Salomon Kalou. Great finish, the end. All right. <laughs> Which, if we want to talk about uh, that uh, more seriously, Piszczek now for the second time in four matches in 2017 completely lost track of a runner in the box and especially with Piszczek playing centre-half uh, in some of these games. You know, centre-half in the back three is still technically centre-half. Uh, that's a bit of an issue. I mean, I like him in that role. Usually it's better for him to have much of the uh, as much of the pitch uh, in front of him as possible because he's not as athletic anymore and uh, he's a better passer than, uh, for example, Socrates from the, from the back. But... Uh, He's really struggling in, in some of those aspects of the game, and that's going to be an issue if they are going to play that in uh, bigger games to come. You know, uh, I think Tuchel likes the likes that system very much in big games, uh, especially when they don't have to uh, dominate possession or dictate play as much. But uh, with Piszczek, that's that could be an issue. I think Piszczek. I mean, we've often talked about him being on the downslope of his career, but. This season, he's really up and down more so than than you should expect from such an experienced player. It's not just his athletic decline. It's also decision-making. It's also just awareness. I think he's really not playing a great season so far. Yeah, I've uh, criticized him more than enough in, in, in recent shows, so I, I will hold off on him for now since Lars just did that. But uh, yeah, there uh, were a couple of mistakes in, in, in that goal. Um And then again, I guess we have to talk about Usman Dembele, right, Luca? Because he once again was the outstanding guy on the field, at least for me in this game. For Dortmund. Uh, yeah. yeah. Brooks yeah. was for Hertha. Yeah, Brooks was obviously the MVP. There's just no, no two ways about that. Um, yeah, Dembele was probably the best Dortmund player in the first half, I would say. And uh, then for a small period in the second half, Royce really caught fire, like for, from the, After the halftime to until the, I would say, 70th minute or so, he was, did really well, uh, demanded a lot of balls in build up even, had some good shots at goal, uh, looked really lively. And then his hip got a hit or something, or maybe it was a muscular thing. I'm not sure. And he limped a bit and then had to be subbed off, but he had some, he had a nice part of the game at least, but overall, Dembele, yeah, the outstanding player on Dortmund's side yeah he certainly had good stints and uh yeah should have created a couple more goals but uh, those were denied um yeah I I already mentioned that Mark Batra played a very uh poor pass to instigate Leipzig's 1-0 but he also played a very brilliant pass to instigate Dortmund's 1-0 meaning to Usman Dembele who just one -one. Um, uh yeah 1-1 sorry Who, who, uh, hit the post and, and from, from there on with a little bit of luck, of course, uh, from that deflection, Dortmund recovered the ball and, you know, in the end it was Pulisic who played a really great assist to, to Royce. I don't even know if you saw Royce or whether that was instinctive. Uh, maybe, maybe someone of you can tell me more on that. <laughs> But, uh, it, it looked great. Uh, was it Pulisic's first touch, Luca? No, he had a, he had a touch to control the ball and then, Had a slight. All right, first ball really action. Up, but, but I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, the, oh, yeah, that's what you mean. I thought you meant if the pass was just uh, first time. No, uh, I'm not sure. 
yeah, it could be, could have been the first touch. I'm not sure, but yeah, he had a quite a quick. Uh, he didn't really look up, but he kind of uh, tilted his head basically. So and Royce was waving, so I guess he saw him. And not many players play that pass. I would say a lot of people would just shoot at goal. And really nice pass. Yeah, very and composed. Good finish from Royce. Yeah, very composed. Good finish from Royce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Loading finishing is just dumb because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's luck. Um, but yeah, no, honestly, that, that was a good finish. Um, again, I wasn't impressed with Aubameyang, but, you know, we talked about that. And uh, Tuchel, I think, at the press conference talked about Guerrero not really holding the midfield in the first half as he was supposed to. Again, not really tracking back as much. In the second half, Tuchel said he was better. Lars... Your impressions on Guerrero so far? I think it was you who said that, uh, you know, don't raise the expectations too high because, uh, you know, he was injured for over half a season or so, or a quarter of a season so far. So how do you see him? Yeah, pretty much as I expected. Uh, he has innate abilities that uh, he can show even without having much of uh, a great form. I mean, when he pops up between the lines, he's... Uh, too intelligent and his technique is too strong for him not to have any impact on the game but for him to become the the, the player we've seen uh, at, you know at the start of the season or especially for that impre impressive stretch in September before he picked up that muscle injury I think uh, on international duty with Portugal for that to happen I think we need just more patience and he needs more games uh, I was a bit surprised to see him start three games in a row but that's also uh, a, a, a sign of his importance to the team and the fact that he has a relatively unique uh, profile uh, in central midfield um yeah i don't i don't know i mean as i said to expect too much of him too early would be unfair and uh, that's uh, probably been true so far but uh, certainly Uh, he remains one of the most important players as the season goes along uh, just because of his profile and the, and his abilities that aren't really uh, of their uh, of which there aren't uh, there isn't an abundance in Dortmund's team let's say all right yeah the, there is a follow-up question for you right there Lars because uh, I actually like the double eight if you want to call it that of uh, Guerrero and Dembele do you think This is something uh, we will see more regularly and especially in the bigger games because we mustn't forget the media are right now going crazy as Mario Götze is not starting. So uh, that could potentially keep him out for longer. Do you think uh, this is how it will be? I wouldn't describe what happened against Hertha as a double eight because especially in the first half, Guerrero dropped much deeper and it almost looked like uh, he formed more of a double pivot with Weigel, but Same at times. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the game plan and that's what happens when you have much more of the ball than against Leipzig and you need to combine through the center because uh, Hertha drop deep and defend with six men in a wall instead of pressing much uh, like Leipzig do. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, I, I think we could obviously see uh, Guerrero and Dembele next to each other also in important games because... Uh, those two are really good in the half spaces and that's where uh, tight games are won nowadays especially for Dortmund uh, remember before the winter break the even though they didn't win games the the attacking trident of Reus, Dembele and uh, Aubameyang they ran riot in the half spaces and that's what scored most of Dortmund goals and 
The same can happen with Guerrero and then uh, Reus as more of a target uh, for the, the final passes. So, yeah, we, we could see that, but uh, I think we will also see Mario Götze uh, back in the starting 11 soon. Uh, I think, as I said the last time I was on, I think two weeks ago, it's completely blown out of proportion. I mean, yesterday, some argued that Götze wasn't even really injured and that he's just not a part of Tuchel's plans right now, which is an absolutely ridiculous thing to say, seeing as Götze, uh, he, Götze missed observably uh, two training sessions for Dortmund. And, you know, it's just asinine to assume that Tuchel would keep someone out of training because he doesn't want to keep him in the starting eleven. So... If if people uh, would be so nice to calm out, calm down a bit about uh, Mario Götze and Andre Schöll for that matter, that would be really helpful because the the current uh, media frenzy surrounding, especially Götze, is just completely uh, over the line and ridiculous. I agree, and uh, yeah, as Luca already pointed out, I wasn't really happy with Schöll's performance, but I don't know if we can blame Schöll for that in particular, or just that everyone was basically. <laughs> that in the water and there wasn't really much movement or space opening for him to run into or to do much so i don't i don't know if you can blame Schuller for not being good in this game or uh you know the game luca you will be the judge i mean he had some weird runs just uh, that didn't make much sense and uh he played on the side with Durm, and Durm is usually one of the guys who can sprint for the entirety of a game and even in extra time, he made a nice run um, from, and then Bele found him with the pass, and he didn't quite catch the ball there. So he could, he could have at least, you know, dragged some defenders with him, so Dome had more space and all that. So yeah, didn't do amazingly, but in the end, it all worked out. So it's okay. But yeah, not a big fan of Schürrle on the wing. Fair enough. So um, yeah, the extra time wasn't really all that significant. I I found. <laughs> Cause that, that was really boring. Um, I liked how, how, uh, they put Dembele back on the field just to stand around and then bind a player. I think that was a good idea, but, uh, it has to be mentioned and I think Tuchel did so, but, uh, we should do it too that he was the first to, uh, volunteer, uh, and take the first penalty because, uh, we had not too long ago a lot of discussions about certain players not wanting to take the responsibility, and it's rather refreshing to see that the player, after a full-body cramp, as Tuchel described it, and, uh, you know, just more or less not being able to run, still has the confidence to uh, take a penalty, and I, I thought it was well taken. And it was the, the second time uh, Dembele went first, so... And, uh, after and Union, right? yeah, after the Union uh, shootout, and as you mentioned, it it was put away really well, and so was the one against Union. I've seen a couple of uh, penalties while he was still at start rent, so uh, I'm actually wondering if Dembele shouldn't be the the regular penalty taker in the Bundesliga as well, because we've seen Aubameyang, who is generally decent as a penalty taker, miss a few in the last two seasons. I think he. In the first meeting with Hertha, for example, against Rune Jarstein, he missed one. He put one uh, next to the goal uh, against Frankfurt, I think, last season. Or maybe it could have been Hof uh, Hannover, one of those two, I think. So, uh, and Dembele, you know, the, the general thought process when uh, going into penalties is that usually you, you want your best taker to take the first one just because you need the first one to get going. And uh, with Dembele taking the first one twice in a row, 
I think he should be the general penalty taker for Dortmund. Okay, yeah. I mean, we can also nominate Marco Reus, but he doesn't like to do it. He just did it when he had to, and he did fairly well because of his technique. Is Reus or is Aubameyang the regular penalty taker when both are on the pitch? I don't actually know, because... Well, I mean, when is when is Reus ever on the pitch? Uh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also depends on who who gets fouled. I think when Aubameyang gets fouled, then he doesn't he doesn't take it. I don't know, but uh, yeah, yeah, we can we <laughs> can maybe really <laughs> we can maybe point out the Roman Burki who uh, did fairly well, even though could have done better. But what I liked about him is just the uh, very confident aura he exuded <laughs> because uh, I think that's very important for any goalkeeper going into a penalty shootout that he uh, yeah just acts like he knows where the ball is going to be and, and uh, everyone and, and intimidates his uh, opponents as much as possible and I think we can also say once again that the stadium makes a very impressive atmosphere or builds a very impressive atmosphere and uh, yeah, Hertha penalty takers did not look too confident. No, that's a that's a good point on Burki, uh, Stefan, especially because he didn't have any kind of special aura in the cup final. I thought uh, he didn't really exude any kind of confidence there against Bayern in the shootout, and I think they they really worked on it um, because he talked a, bit, a little bit about strategy after the game uh, with uh, German broadcasters. Yeah. You know that he wants to get in the the penalty takers' heads before they make their run up. Uh, we also saw him. You know, I think it was against the rules, but uh, wasn't whistled back. But he really tightened the angle with uh, a jump almost. You know, he was uh, at, at least a yard away from his line when the penalties were taken, which by law isn't allowed, but it rarely, if ever, gets called back. So. I guess we can let that slide. So, but I, I think that's a, a general part of his maturation, or not necessarily maturation, but his his uh, higher standing uh, among Bundesliga keepers nowadays. That and, and Tuchel talked about him being much more of a defensive leader nowadays in his second season. So, I think uh, yesterday was a great example of that. And after Roman Weidenfeller did so well against Union, it's nice to know that Dortmund for the first time and ever have goalkeepers who can uh, keep them alive in shootouts. That usually wasn't the case. What do you mean? We had Mitch Langerak. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking, if you're talking, if you're, talk, if, you're if you're talking about uh, recent history, yeah, but it used to be a penalty against Dortmund is an automatic goal, and that's not the case anymore. That is uh, that is very true. <laughs> But yeah, uh, a bit unlucky that I think it was Sami Alagi's shot. He, he, Burki almost caught and then just, uh, yeah, petered over the line. <laughs> that was, that was, uh, funny. And also, I want to point out that I was really surprised that only Christian Pulisic missed this penalty because, um, I thought Rune Jarstein would save at least one or, uh, one more considering what kind of game he had and the confidence. But then again, Dembele, Aubameyang and, and Castro all had very well-taken penalties. I mean, Yasha didn't even really move when Castro took his penalty, while uh, I think Aubameyang just put it in the top right corner. There would have been absolutely no chance for any kind of goalkeeper. So, yeah, Pulisic the only one to uh, to have a weak shot. And I think Ginter said it after the game that he was actually looking forward to his uh, penalty because he would have been fifth in line 
Yeah, and Ginter is a really uh, great penalty taker. We saw that both against Union when he when his effort was perfect, and also for Germany at the Olympics in the summer. Uh, you know, he wouldn't really uh, uh, take him for a great penalty taker because he doesn't have much of a um, uh, confidence uh, about him the way he. It's just a very per- uh, subjective perception from you, Lars. <laughs> no, I think. Most people would agree that he looks uh, like a deer in the headlights most of the time, but uh, his penalty taking uh, does not reflect that he's really good at it. So um, I was kind of surprised uh, to see Pulisic take one because uh, I, I I was uh, sure that Schürrle would take one. He uh, did uh, take penalties for Wolfsburg uh, in his last season there, and you know he has he was almost the most experienced outfield player uh, left. Besides Castro uh, on the pitch for Dortmund, so it was kind of surprising to see him not take one. But maybe that was because he had such a nondescript game and didn't really feel like it. Because we know that Tuchel asks his players who wants to take penalties. Uh, funnily enough, he said uh, if Zucatis had still been on the pitch because he was sent off in the non- 119th minute, uh, he, they they would have kept Zucatis from taking one. So yeah, he he did that by himself, I guess. And yeah, maybe we should talk about that uh, <laughs> almost funny incident. I don't know. Other other would argue it was just stupid of him to uh, still complain over what was it two or three meters of field position over uh, midfield free kick. But then again, you could also just say that the referee, Mr. Itikin, was just a very very strict, and you usually don't see that at this moment of the game over such an irrelevant thing. But uh, you know. That is that is something for Lars to decide because he's the referee guide in our show. I thought it was ridiculous to send someone off in the 119th minute over, as you said, a couple of yards of field position. But uh, letter of the law, uh, there, there's no argument that Socrates should just uh, uh, shut up in that situation and not complain about uh, something of so little uh, of so little si- significance. But you know. Uh, as I said, I don't like referees making uh, points uh, in the 190th minute of a superbly contentious cup match, but, you know, doesn't really matter now, especially with the luck of the draw being on Dortmund's side and them being uh, drawn with the only third division side left in the cup. Uh, they, If they are going to go out against Sport von Lotte, it's not going to be because they were without Socrates, so it doesn't really matter now. <laughs> Yeah, Luca, maybe you can tell us about your insights of Sportfreunde Lotte because I must admit I haven't seen them thus far. So, Goal Impact thinks they're good. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, I've seen parts of their games against, uh, I think it was Bremen. Who else did they beat? Leverkusen? Yeah, yep. Bremen, yep. Leverkusen and 1860. Yep. Yeah, yeah they, they seem like a good team. Their pitch is awful. It's going to be awful. At, I think it's the 1st of March we are playing there. No, 20, so, February 28th. Okay. But doesn't really uh, matter. So, yeah, the pitch is going to be horrible. Yeah, we. but you have to win there. And I hope they, I think they'll take them seriously because they, they have thrown out um, all those Bundesliga teams. So, yeah. And and uh, it, it helps that Dortmund's second team played against Lotte uh, a bunch when they were in the third division. Uh, in recent years, so they, there's uh, going to be some familiarity with both surroundings and I, I assume some of the personnel, even though with teams in the third division, there's always a lot of turnover. Uh, 
personnel wise. Um, I haven't seen them personally uh, thus far because of the, I couldn't care less about the cup uh, unless Dortmund are playing, especially in the early rounds. But uh, as Luca mentioned, goal impact thinks they're good. Their their coach seems to be I think he's uh, early 30s still, uh, Turkish born guy. Uh, doing it the the hard way coming up from lower league sides so uh, he seems to be a, a coaching talent there's a lot of buzz obviously around uh, a third division side making it to the quarterfinals but there aren't going to be any excuses for Dortmund in that that meeting all right then i guess we can segue from Sportfreunde Lotte to Darmstadt <laughs> i don't know not too much of a <laughs> jump i feel <laughs> yeah, i was going to say but uh <laughs> Nevertheless, I actually saw Darmstadt play against uh, Eintracht Frankfurt on the, uh, what was it, Sunday. My condolences, uh, Stefan. Thank you. And uh, yeah, those are much needed because it was a terrible game. Um, it was a derby. Uh, Frankfurt didn't really treat it as a derby in the first half. They just, you know, kicked back, relaxed a little, let Darmstadt run around and yeah, win a corner. And I think it was... Was it some, some midfielder of Darmstadt whose name I cannot remember who had the one chance of, of Darmstadt in, in this whole game? Otherwise, uh, Darmstadt, although they, you know, honorably tried, couldn't really produce anything. And in the second half, Frankfurt, yeah, they were a little bit more serious about their game and then just, uh, yeah, exuded a little bit more pressure and, Eventually, a goal came, although it has to be pointed out it was an absolutely laughable penalty Frankfurt got, so it could have ended in a scoreless result if it wasn't for that penalty, you never know. But uh, yeah, from my observations, Dortmund shouldn't have too many problems to beat Darmstadt, considering they have little threat going forward, and uh, defensively, if you pressure them just a little bit, I feel like uh, there is space opening up, because that's, there that's is... That's, I mean... Yeah, hot takes here on the yellow board. No, I, I mean, I, I was going to disagree with that because, A, you talked about Frankfurt needing a laughable penalty to get the first goal and then they got a second when uh, things opened up a bit more. But uh, ahead of the winter break, Darmstadt hosted Bayern and it took Bayern an absolute wonder goal from Douglas Costa in the 71st minute to break the deadlock and Bayern didn't waste too many chances or anything. I mean... We are talking about Darmstadt as this uh, absolutely horrific side and points-wise that's true and there's no way they're not going down because uh, at the latest the decision to install Thorsten Frings as a mascot, I, said, I should say coach, but he's more of a mascot because he's as, because he's only a, an ex-player without any coaching experience uh, as the SD guy. Does he even have a coaching license? Yeah, he has. He must have. So he couldn't be the, the head coach if he didn't. Um, but... Uh, to my point, Darmstadt may be terrible uh, points-wise and will go down, but they are not to be taken too lightly at home. I mean, they don't concede uh, a boatload of chances. I mean, the the six-one against Cologne was really uh, out of character for them at home this season. So um, if Dortmund go there thinking oh, it's only Darmstadt, they only have nine points and uh, lost ten of the last eleven matches, uh, that could be uh, a rude awakening for Dortmund, even though. Obviously, if they uh, take it serious and their individual performers don't have absolutely terrible days, they they will come away with the three points. But nobody should go in that game with the uh, expectation of it being a laugher as it was in the first meeting of the season when Dortmund absolutely shellacked them 6-0 uh, in Westfalenstadion. 
Yeah, I would have made that point just uh, after my sentence, but you know, looking at the game against Frankfurt and projecting that to Dortmund, I think that Darmstadt, uh, yeah, won't hold up the pressure over over ninety or even even forty minutes because they that there were a couple of defensive mistakes that Frankfurt just didn't take advantage of, which is how I wanted to round my point and to really pointed out how uh, yeah. Frankfurt lack ideas when they actually do have the ball and need to create something themselves, which I thought would uh, go better than it did. But yeah, I I hope uh, you know Dortmund will confirm me by uh, creating a couple of more chances than Frankfurt did. But yeah, overall, last you are of course as always right by saying that it won't just be a, park, a walk in the park as it was uh, in the reverse fixture. And now Lucas here too. Tell us what Darmstadt's strengths are and why they will win. You you just said that like you just recognized that I was here too. Um, why Darmstadt is going to win? Yeah, um, you're the the uh, pessimistic guy on the show more often than not. So play your okay, goddamn the, part. <laughs> the the six nil at home was not as um, one sided as one might think in the end. I mean, it got pretty brutal in the end, but. They had a early lead from Castro in the seventh minute, and then it took them until the second half to the forty-eighth minute to score again, and then again, and then Darmstadt had a red card, and then it got ugly. So they aren't bad defensively per se. Uh, they did concede a lot of goals, but just mostly because when they concede a goal, then they roll over because they don't have much threat going forward, and when they take risks, they're just you know they're. Uh, easy to score on because they don't have any, anyone back but when they don't have to score they just sit back and defend deep and especially on a bad pitch like again in, like in Darmstadt uh, it's not that easy to have a good combination play against such a deep team um, and I don't think Dembele will play for example so a guy who can get past some players easily will, won't feature not sure if Royce will play so there is there's some individual quality missing uh, in terms of getting past players and uh, yeah, beating a deep block, so I could easily see Dortmund having struggled to to score the first. Should they score the first early, then it should be a pretty straight straightforward win. But like last said, I mean Bayern took until the seventieth minute, and then Costa uh, just scored from like thirty yards out or something, and uh, that could easily happen for Dortmund as well. And Costa scores Costa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Luca, since you're still here, uh, you can uh, answer the questions about rotation because after Darmstadt, there will be the match against Benfica, which will take place on Tuesday already. So there's one day less to recuperate. So do you think uh, the likes of Mikel Marino, Emre Moore and, and uh, others as such will make an appearance to, uh, you know, have the big rotation going once again against Darmstadt? Uh, I would say it would make sense to play them. Uh, because Merino has the passing to break down a deep team like Darmstadt and uh, Moore has the dribbling skills. I'm not sure. I mean, we haven't seen the presser yet. I'm not sure how fit all those guys are who played Hertha. So probably depends on that. But if Royce isn't fit to play and Dembele needs a break, then yeah, I could see either Pulisic and, and Schürrle, which I wouldn't be the biggest fan of, um, or Pulisic and Moore maybe and Schürrle, could play up front, maybe Aubameyang leads a break or something, and Schürrle was decent up front lately. So 
yeah, we'll see. I, I expect some rotation. I don't expect the exact same lineup as against um, Hertha again. Uh, that would be pretty surprising. I and wonder if Alexander Isak <laughs> Isak will make the squad at no, least. <laughs> I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, sounded, I, Tuchel sounded like that was way too early. I I, I could see Paslak maybe start a game now. Uh, look good in the few minutes he got against Leipzig. So we'll see. Yeah. Last, do you think it's going to be full rotation? Or do you think Tuchel will stick with the team he played against Leipzig and Hertha as much as he can? Well, how much he can is uh, is uh, the the big question because he made four injury-related subs or three injury-related subs and one out of precaution with Guerrero coming off. So I don't think uh, Schmelzer, Piszczek, Guerrero, Denbele, Reus can all play or uh, can all start. Uh, maybe mo some of them could, but you know why would you risk it ahead of Benfica with so much depth in the squad that is healthy now? I mean, Dortmund don't have any uh, apart from Sven Bender. There's there aren't many uh, long-term things with Dortmund this season right now. So uh, that to me, Darmstadt would be the the opportunity to play. Paslap from the start for the first time in months. Uh, I'm not holding uh, uh, out much hope for uh, Don Nicol Merino, but uh, uh, you know, uh, Emre Moore, I think, would make perfect sense, even though you have to really make sure he, he won't flip out and, and, and punch someone in the face when he gets fouled for the 17th time. Uh, but you know, um, as Lucas said, we haven't heard the presser yet, but I, I do think they will uh, prioritize Personnel-wise, the the Benfica match, and they can afford it without uh, without going into Darmstadt with a squad that can't come away with the win. I mean, I talked Darmstadt up uh, in my uh, when, uh, a few minutes ago, but you know, even a uh, rotated Dortmund side has to come away with three points there uh, if they take the game seriously enough. Yeah, and I I presume they will just because they are in fourth place right now and still want to make the Champions League and I think there is enough pressure on the team for them to have their senses sharpened. So I will go first with the prediction and I would say 3-0 Dortmund, Lars. Yeah, I don't think Dortmund will blow Darmstadt out of the park, but they will win. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Darmstadt score uh, an ugly goal from a set piece, so it's my usual 2-1 Dortmund win. Okay, Luca? I'm going to be more optimistic than Lars, I'm going to say 2-0. Yeah, it was it was between three 0 and two 0 for me too. But you know, why not have a fun day in Darmstadt? For the because there are, there are no fun days in Darmstadt <laughs> by by rule. Okay, so we have a title for the episode now. Yeah, that's superb. Unless we have a better one coming out of the Benfica talk, which will happen right now. And uh, yeah, that's the next Champions League opponent. Overall, I think Dortmund have been made out to be the favorites in this game like the huge favorites i don't see that at all i think this will be a very tight game and i have a lot of respect for benfica although i haven't watched too many of their games i think they are a very decent side Lars, i think you said similar things after the draw so go ahead and confirm them if you want or say they have deteriorated ever since so I can see why Dortmund are the favorites because they won a group with Real Madrid, whereas Benfica came second in a group with Napoli, Besiktas and Dinamo Kiev, you know, which I mean, on one hand, you can say that that's uh, the most even group you can uh, think of uh, at the time of the draw. But, 
you know, that's not really a group of death or anything. I mean, a side that wants to beat Dortmund in, to, to make it to the, uh, quarterfinals has to be, has to, uh, come out of that group. Uh, and, and the thing is with Benfica, they didn't even, uh, make it out of the group without problems. I think they needed Dinamo Kiev to beat Besiktas on the final match day to even make it out of the group because they lost I think at home even, uh, to Napoli. You know, Napoli, uh, are one of the informed sides, uh, in Europe and it's no shame to lose against them, but, you know, I can see why people, uh, consider Dortmund the, the heavy favorites just because of the, the Champions League experience Dortmund have had in the, in, in this season with, uh, the two come from behind draws against Real and then winning that group and all that. But, uh, as you said, Benfica are a pretty good side. Um, they don't really have the, the huge individual quality on their team. I think most people would struggle to pick out, uh, any of their, uh, attacking players. Uh, you know, people who don't watch too much. Mitrovic, maybe. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, but some might even know Mitroglu. Obviously, there are players there who you know, but I, I don't think the, the, the normal football fan in Dortmund would be able to pick out many Benfica players, but, their defensive organization is absolutely superb. They have a great young goalkeeper in Ederson, who I think is going to be a starter for a much bigger club soon. Uh, Victor Lindelöf, um, Swedish center half. He was uh, really great at the under 21 championships uh, a few years ago, which I think Sweden won even. Um, Linked with Manchester United. Yeah, with them and, and, and other clubs as uh, players from Portuguese clubs tend to do. Uh, or tend to be um, Semedo the right back is really good so there's just a lot of uh, decent enough quality and the the coach has them uh, drilled very well they usually play a fairly customary 4-4-2 which is tough to play against and I think last season they were drawn with Bayern in one of the knockout stages might as well have been the round of 16 and uh, even though Bayern in the end somewhat comfortably uh, went through uh that weren't the most easy games for them because uh, of Benfica's great organization. And, you know, especially now that game being at the uh, Stadio da Luz, I think, um, on Tuesday and Benfica having uh, a few hours more rest and being at home, that's going to be a really tough game for Dortmund. I think overall Dortmund should um, go through to the quarterfinals uh, because they've been so good at home in the Champions League. But it's going to be more difficult than than people imagined when the draw came out and and people were uh, hoping and praying for one of the Portuguese clubs. One last thing I want to mention though is that Dortmund will be very well prepared because I would assume that they watched a lot of Benfica when they prepared for Porto in the Europa League last season and now Sporting this season because you usually watch opponents against the the best opposition in their country and that's obviously Benfica. Uh, nowadays perennial champions uh, in Portugal. So I don't really see uh, too many surprises or things that, that catch uh, that can catch Tuchel by surprise with, with this opponent. So that's going to be uh, uh, just a, a, a great battle between two sides who uh, know full well what's going to hit them. Yeah, Benfica are still top of the table, although they've uh, lost against Vitor one game yeah, two weeks ago. But I, I think they, they will make, they, they will make the title race still interesting in the, in the Liga Nos. I mean, it's, it's only between Benfica and Porto right now. One point between them, Sporting Lisbon are out of that competition. They are 10 points behind Benfica and I don't see them coming back 
Luca, do you think that Benfica will be a little bit more prepared than Sporting were when they uh, played against Dortmund? <laughs> uh, I don't think Sporting were that bad, to be honest. Um, especially away, we had a lot of trouble, if I remember correctly. And uh, that game, how did it end? 2-1 for Dortmund or something like that? Yeah, but they had to make four changes at the back line. And uh, yeah. I thought that yeah, Sporting but... would have done better, especially they left Weigel roam completely free. Yeah, that's true. Which uh, usually oh, shouldn't happen. He's got that goal, right? Yeah. That goal. That one goal. Yeah. <laughs> That's only one goal. Yeah. Um, yeah, but they had loads of chances. And yeah, I expect them to be well prepared. Um, they think they're well coached. Um, I've seen a few games of them, but they look well coached. And uh, like Lars said, some good individual quality. Um, young players the, in a loud stadium, probably. And it's going to be tough, like any Champions League away game, except when you're playing Legia. <laughs> yeah, well. Oh, Although Real Madrid might disagree, but exactly. Yeah, well, in case you hear weird noises on the yellow wall pot, that's uh, Simon, the yellow wall pot dog, drinking. So <laughs> I apologize. There's nothing I, I can do right now. He's, he's drinking out of a yellow pot. That's it's actually turkeys, but <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I think I think that uh, is enough for today and should wrap it up. So, Luca, you have the honor as priority number one. And make the first prediction. Overtook last. Nice. Um, uh, I'm going for a 2 2 draw. I'm going for a 1 all draw. And last but not least, it's your time yeah, to I, predict. I think four goals is too much for a home game of Benfica because of their great defensive organization. So, 1 all so it sounds about right. I think Dortmund will score the all important away goal and that, I mean, they, they could afford a 2-1 away loss, I think, because of their home form, but 1 all sounds about right. All right. And with that, we can, uh, knock it on the head right now. Lars, where can people find you on the internet and all your written work? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at Lars Poilman, uh, nowadays more often on yellowwallpot.com and some more general Bundesliga work on bleacherreport.com. Luca, where can people find you in Berlin? Not answering that. All right. <laughs> If not Berlin, where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter at Luca Giel. That's it. Yeah. I, I heard you, you're done with your exams. Does that mean, uh, there will be more written content coming from you on the yellowwallpod.com? For one week, yes. <laughs> Then it's exams again, so. All right, I, people. I can write about Darmstadt. Yeah. Yeah. For, for this oh. week, go on yellowwallpod.com and check out what Luca Gill is writing. In the meantime, you can, uh, yeah, go there for many different reasons. Also finding the show there. Uh, if you don't like to listen via Our website, you can do that on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can find me at Stefan Butzko on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Yellow Wallpot. You can find us, find us via Facebook and contact us via our contact form if you have longer requests. That's it. Goodbye. Episode 172. We will be back after Benfica. <laughs>